Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. We are so glad to have Joey and Kirsten Roberts with us for this service today. Enjoy the message. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Um, Man, anyone's cheeks still hurting from the weekend? <laughs> I tell you, the last couple services, just uh, it reminded me of doing like seven Nutcracker shows in a row, and you're just smiling so hard that your cheeks are like frozen. <laughs> and it's such a good feeling, isn't it? It's, it's something that we're designed to live in, that joy. That, that's his, he gives it to us. It's his joy that he gives us to us as, as our strength. Um, a couple things came to mind that when Jennifer was just talking about, um, you know, Joey and the intensity and the, you know, the thing that comes to mind with that is faith is now. Faith is not yesterday. Faith is not tomorrow. Faith is faith is right now, and and it's not it's not two seconds ago. It's now, and it's now, and it's now, and it's always right now. And we never get to say, "Well, I did this." I mean, we do. We, the, I did this by faith, and I saw God do this, and He's faithful, and He was faithful. But that doesn't. Um, make make me so okay now I can just rest and just stop using my faith because I used it to get to this point but four times throughout the Bible it says the just shall live by faith that means that we live we breathe we have our being we we operate in the currency of faith and that's not a difficult thing um one thing Connie said in one of the meetings um this past week is that stuck with me is the enemy would love to tell you the lie that it's difficult, that it's difficult to live by faith, that it's difficult to live as the just. What does that mean? The just is the righteous. Who is that? That's you. That's you and I, and that's our true self. It's not difficult because you are a spirit. You are designed to live a spirit-led life because that's who you truly are. It's only, we only live in this house, our body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And sometimes we can let our house take over and our soul get just caught up in the affairs of life. And really, it's, the, it's easy to live by faith because that's how you're designed, how you're designed to be and to do. Um, the other thing that Jennifer mentioned is, uh, you know, education versus being yielded to, to God. And, um, there's a scripture and it, it's, I think it's so important that we don't let, I, I believe in education, obviously. I, I'm, I think it's important and it's interesting. And if that's, you know, some people are more called to go into more intellectual things, but the enemy has tried to steal that because that's the highest that we can go in this life, in this realm. And I can be educated on how to help a tendinopathy. Let's just say I can be educated in what to do with ice or heat and how to do concentric and eccentric exercises and how to, you know, do that um, this many times and this often. And I can do some massage and I can do some dry needling and I can do some cupping and all of those things are good. And education will get me so far in the ability to do some joint mobilizations and taping techniques and it'll never end. Right. The more you learn. That's one of my favorite statements. The more I learn, the more I've learned how much. I need to learn because there's always more or I can be in a healing service and that tendinopathy is gone in an instant 
And so there's a greater level of revelation and sometimes we can let our education steal our revelation. One of the things that I love that Joey always says is when when man fell, he fell from revelation to education. So in this world system, education is the highest we can get, but it will never have the ability to supersede revelation. In fact, education is just slowly beginning to scratch the surface of what has been established in the word for eternity. It's always been here, and we're just slowly finding out these things. Like, oh, that light is still going, for example. Oh, well, the Word has said that forever. And so if we just take God at His Word, um, our education and our, our science will always actually point us right back to Him and his, the vastness of who He is and um, His goodness. Man, He's so good that... Um, you know, song that we finished on and his goodness is running after you. He has just given us so many gifts. He is the the goodest. That's terrible English. <laughs> My mom is would be correcting me right now. Um, but the 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 best father that you could ever imagine. You take any good earthly father, and I've been blessed to have wonderful par- earthly parents who have, um, you know. Sh- demonstrated to me it's been easy to me to 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 know the character of my heavenly father because i had an example in my earthly father not everyone has had that not everyone but that doesn't mean that we we can't see that in our heavenly father and the best father you could imagine on earth pales in comparison to your heavenly father. I was um, putting Everest to sleep last night and uh, regularly, and I was talking to someone, um, Melissa, this morning about just children, how you don't know until you have children. The, you know, everyone tells you, and I remember my mom always used to, or she still does, like, Kirsten, you'll, you'll never, you'll never comprehend how much I love you. You'll never understand the depth until you have a child of your own. And it's so true. There is, there is no depth of love like that love and I just was overcome with you know watching him putting him to sleep how much I love him but a, a supernatural underst- or revelation of how much more the father loves me and all his children how it hurts him when he sees you going through something he he truly wants such good for you if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children how much more does he give good gifts to us and sometimes it's just a matter of unwrapping those gifts unwrapping them he's wrapped them up for us for the excitement of unwrapping them and those those gifts are in the word. He's hidden things there for you for the excitement of you to find them. But he's also hidden things in you, literally on the inside of you, about you, that he wants you to discover about yourself and about him. Um, the song that they sang this morning, your presence is an open door. I just love that. But the, the last time I heard it, I was just singing it. And I said, instead of your presence is an open door, your presence opens doors. 
Your presence, it opens doors. I tell you something, when we just come into his presence, that's it. Without bringing any, anything, with all your baggage and everything else, but if you just come into his presence, um, it will open doors in the natural. You could say, you know, he opened, I, I remember a prayer and confession that um, we would say regularly growing up. He opens doors that no man can shut. He makes a way where there seems to be none. Yes, he does. And he, he opens doors for us. But on a deeper or, a, you know, the word is a two-edged sword. So there's many facets to, I think, so many scriptures and revelations. Um, he also, his presence opens doors on the inside of you that you wouldn't be able to walk through otherwise. So as you seek him, as you pray in tongues, that's a gift, that's a literal gift that he's wrapped up for you as a tool, um, not just, <coughs> excuse me, um, Joey and I were talking in the car this morning, but it's not just a, his presence is not just something that we get to enjoy and experience. It is that, and it's wonderful. The tangible presence is, is something that you just want to stay in. But it is also a tool that he has provided for us to actually do his good pleasure, to operate with him, to speak things to people through us. And he wants you to come into his presence because he wants to equip you and to get rid of your mind and your intellect thinking so that you can operate more with him and through him and operate by the spirit. I'm just going to take a few minutes and set this up for Joey because he has something this morning. Um, but one of the things I wanted to uh, ask of one of the gifts, what, you know, what is, God is good, and we hear that and good all the time, and all the time he is good, and that can become cliche sometimes, but uh, I was encouraging someone yesterday, write down all of the testimonies of his goodness in your life, and you will begin to see it more and more in your life as you put it down for yourself to see. But one of the gifts that he's given us is the gift of righteousness. And that gift, we have to be established and stand firm in that gift of righteousness because the enemy, when he can attack you on that and tell you that you're not righteous and tell you that you're not worthy and tell you that you're not in right standing with him, then you give him an inlet to operate in all facets of your life and all areas and arenas of your life. So are there any scriptures that show us this? So I want to um, take us to Romans um, Romans 5.19. For as the one, the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. So we're sinners because of Adam's sin. And we receive through his blood that we are now sinners. We are born into a world that is under the curse. But we, how do we become righteous? We, did you do anything to, to earn the, when you're born as a baby, to earn the fault of Adam? 
No. So all the more is there anything we have to do to earn the gift of righteousness that was given to us by one man, Jesus. All we have to do is receive Jesus's righteousness by his obedience on the cross. So anytime Satan comes to try and tell you a lie that you didn't do something, you haven't done enough, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you just turn around or just say, yes, you're right. You're totally right, but it's not about me. It's about the price that Jesus has already paid for me. Um, so we are redeemed. Would you agree if I asked you, are you redeemed today? Yes. From what? Yes. The, the curse of the law. Yes. Sickness, poverty, death. And, but, but sometimes um, we can still find bits of the curse hanging on us. And are we actually walking in everything that Jesus, is there anything in Jesus that you could see that maybe you're not walking in? I think if any of us were honest with ourselves, there's plenty in Jesus that I'd like more of. So why would he have said, I think it's in Colossians 2, he's, he's talking to born again believers, but he says, walk in me. Why would he give that um, encouragement if there was the possibility of only if there's the possibility of not doing that, of not walking in him. And it's walking in him that we see and get to operate in more and more of him and bits of that curse fall off. If there's any sickness, any disease, any sadness, any pain, those are bits of pieces of the curse that are hanging on to us. And Satan would love to hook those things into us, but it's only by walking with him. How do we do that by renewing our mind constantly to who he said I am. I am righteous because he is righteous, not because of anything I do. Why do I come to his presence? Why do I pray in tongues? Why do I read the word? Not because there is some checklist of things that I have to do to accomplish to get him to do something for me. He has already done everything that he is going to do for me. I, my job, and the reason I I'm doing these things is simply to get my, my believer up and something, you know, something Joey said yesterday that, um, maybe suck the air out of the room a little bit. Um, he, he likes to do that sometimes, just say these statements. Um, but if I think if we recognize where some things hit us, you know, he said, I dare the devil to give me cancer. That can he, I know, I know. I'm, a, I'm about to. <laughs> exactly. Because there is immediately some uh, offense that can come and try and take over in us. Well, pff, who does he think he is to say that? Well, maybe that is something that is pushing me to come up a little higher. You know, the Bible says that his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. So that the tendency can be like, oh, well, just me. You know, I have my thoughts and my ways and God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. I'll never get there. And, but what does the New Testament say? I have the mind of Christ. 
So his, he's not telling me that to keep me down. He's telling me that to come up, come up to my thoughts, come up to my, and you know what? If you have had cancer or if you have, that's okay. It can't stay on you because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you're, you are delivered from the curse of the law. You, and so you begin to see yourself as Jesus sees you, see yourself seated with him in heavenly places. Like Joey said, he didn't say he could. He's just at a place where he can say, I dare you because you can't. Because you are a defeated foe and you're under my feet. And you know what? Sometimes you, if you hear a bold statement like that, and it brings you like, well, I wish I could say that. But I really, I really don't feel like I could say that. That's okay. Locate yourself and begin to say things to take you to faith. A statement that I love to, to say is sometimes I'm saying, I am saying from, from a place. But other times I'm saying to get to a place. And I have to recognize, you know, maybe I'm saying by his stripes I am healed. Or maybe I'm saying he has supplied all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But I'm still dealing with some things in the natural where I have needs. And I'm thinking about those things and I'm like, do I really believe he supplied all my needs? Because I'm looking at a lack right here. And so I'm, I'm speaking that to get it on the inside of me to take root so that I can continue to stake, take steps towards the place where now I look at that lack and there is nothing and no one that could convince me otherwise that he has supplied my need. And I think we use that scripture so much just in finances, which it works for and that's wonderful but he has supplied all your need in wisdom anyone lacking in some wisdom that they could maybe use in understanding in revelation in knowledge in knowing the next steps in relationships in your marriage he has supplied all that you have need of but some there are areas in all of our lives where we're not perhaps walking in the fullest manifestation of that and that's okay but that's not where we're going to stay and how do we not stay there well if we look at Romans 10 have it here Romans 10 says right this is how we all got saved and if you're not saved you're going to get saved by the end of today <laughs> But again, we, we see, I'm um, sorry, for with the heart one be, believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So why would your entrance into the kingdom, once you get in, why would how you got in be any different from how you operate in that kingdom? It is a perfect demonstration of how we, yes, we get in. We don't say the prayer of salvation and now we stop speaking. Isn't it amazing, you know, it's the enemy loves to bring in little thoughts. And very often, most of the time, the thought he brings to you has an element of truth. So there's a little piece of truth that just makes it enough to hook on. But then the rest is a lie. And it's, we cannot combat those thoughts with more thoughts. You can't attack thoughts with thoughts. You have to attack thoughts with your words. So I don't confess the word because it is a um, chore that I have to do and because I, it's something that, you know, 
but when your children, Joey tells his testimony often that his parents made him confess God's creative power and made him do these things. He probably didn't want to every single time. And when he Saturday came around and his dad said, you can't play until you've done your tape reports for the last three weeks because I wasn't home and you didn't do them or your confessions, you're going to do them for every day you missed. He didn't want to. But the process of putting that word down, it cannot return void. It simply can't. It can't go in and not produce something later on. And so we do that to ourselves, not because we are trying to to earn God's grace, to earn something from him, but because we are renewing our mind because we live in a fallen system. And there's stuff all around us all the time that is trying to pull us away from the that establishment in his righteousness and that he loves us more than anything. Um, so confession is made unto salvation. And you should have things that you confess yourself um, Yes, the other scripture I wanted to show you guys, 2 Corinthians 4.13. This is the spirit of faith, but having the same spirit of faith according to that which is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore also do we speak. How did God accomplish anything? He spoke, Genesis 1, right? He spoke and then something happened. He spoke, then he saw. Why would we get to operate any differently? We have to speak. Um, I remember my, I was, uh, I had a cold or something. This was when I was a teenager. And my dad came up and he had these uh, bright colored index cards. And he said, Kirsten, I have um, some some medicine for you, for your cold, and it was gospels, and it was say these three times a day, every single day, and it was just simple healing scriptures, um, but sometimes we have to locate ourselves. you know, something uh, Joey's dad, Ross, said in one of the meetings is, um, okay, where, where, where's an area that you maybe could use a little more, whatever, let's say healing, maybe there's something in your body. Can you right now, if I called on you, could you give me five healing scriptures that you're standing on? And it's not to, it's not to um, cause discouragement or to say, well, look where you're, no, where am I? If I'm facing lack in my life, do I have five scriptures? They should be on the tip of my tongue because that is what I'm, I'm, I'm working on something because I have to decide to say those things and not what is facing me. And sometimes you have to get aggressive with it um, because your enemy doesn't sleep. And when you hear the word, he comes, we've heard this over and over, Mark 4, immediately. He doesn't sit back and say, oh, well, I'll let him chew on this one a while. You have to be aggressive with the word. And Sometimes people will say, well, before I was, I even heard this, you know, things were, it was fine. It was easy. I didn't have any, but all of a sudden when I try to start confessing the word or when I try to start praying, you know, just things are coming up out of nowhere. Um, you know, so-and-so is doing this or my phone rings or this happens or this. And it's, it's because the enemy is trying to stop you. He doesn't really care, you know, if he can't stop you from going to heaven, 
That's fine. As long as he can keep you from operating in your authority on this earth and he can just have dominion and rule over this earth, we are here um, as the restraining order against him. And so our authority, we need to get bolder and bolder in our authority. How we do that is with our words. Um, Joey, how you doing? Are you ready? <laughs> Setting you up. Yeah. He said, he said to me, I said, no, you go ahead. He's like, no, I... I <laughs> said, well, I might not give it back to you, so you start. <laughs> um, but really, that is the, the thing that I wanted to leave you guys with, is just recognizing your righteousness and who you are in him. Um, you know, even in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 54, it says, in righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression. That's one of the confessions from God's creative power. I'm far from oppression and fear does not come nigh me. How do I get far from oppression? I have to stay established in righteousness. I don't think it's a mistake that the armor of God, that the breastplate is the righteousness because that protects all of our internal organs. And that is important when we, when we let chinks in that um, breastplate of righteousness come in, when the enemy can come in, he can get to our internal organs. He can get to the places that really can do damage and hurt us. Now, that doesn't mean that, we, um, that we're stuck. If that happens, we, we can now step up. It just takes a little bit more sometimes. And I also don't think it's a mistake that the shield of faith gives you a second layer of protection. So those, all of those important parts of us, we have our breastplate of righteousness, but then even out in front of that, we have our shield of faith. So the more we build up and establish our shield of faith, it won't even hit our breastplate. The arrows that come will just bounce off that shield of faith. And that's why there's areas in our life that are easier because Satan can bring things, but I've seen God's goodness in this, in this area. I know this about him. And maybe it's even, you've seen something in the natural. You grew up with a father who always provided and, you know, maybe there wasn't much affection, but there was always food on the table, let's say. So in that area of my life, it might be easy for me to believe that God is my provider, but it might not be as easy for me to believe that he loves me unconditionally and that he is always for me yes he'll provide for my needs but it's full so in that area maybe an arrow comes he won't provide for your needs and that just bounces off oh my god supplies all my that's not even a thought it doesn't even hit the breastplate but then in another area of does he love me am i good enough now the enemy can get past that shield of faith perhaps, and now it can hit my breastplate. And now I start to think on, oh, well, so-and-so doesn't like me because I, I'm not good enough or whatever it is. And as I start to think on that, the enemy can pull me down this pathway. How do I combat that? We're in Sunday school this morning, right? With my words, I have to open my mouth and say something loud enough for myself to hear it, loud enough for the enemy to hear it. And sometimes he will make you say bold statements that even might scare you a little bit. But get into his presence. Get into his presence. I think if there's one thing that we've taken away is the importance of saturating yourself in his presence at this time because we have to 
in order to operate, you can come up, in order to operate in the, the level of boldness that he wants us to in this time, you were born for such a time as this. He needs you operating in your highest and fullest calling. I had this vision of um, a few days ago of, you know, let's say we're on like an army and there's some people are on their horses with swords, others have bayonets, others have guns, but everyone has their place in the army. And in Roman times, you know, the, the soldiers would all get together and their shields were about yay high and they would get under, you know, but a huge shield. They would back, get down under the shield and when they were advancing, they would form a circle and the guys in the middle would have the shields over their head. And so everyone was advancing, but there, it was like a, a cocoon. No arrows could penetrate because they're advancing together and everyone knows their place and everyone is in their place. When you don't operate in your place, you leave someone else vulnerable. When someone steps out of formation and out of line, they're letting arrows into the body that it only you, the lie that you're insignificant or that it doesn't matter what you do, you know, um, you have to bring your supply if not for you for your children for your parents for your neighbors you have to bring your supply and find out from the Lord what is my supply what is it that I am that only I can do in this time and he needs every single one of us and he needs us to bring others into the kingdom so that they can take their post as well and we can rest in him at the same time but operate with ease in our life of faith, because that's what we're called to. That's awesome. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Here, you can take that with you. I got this one. Yeah. Man, I like this church. Amen. Do you like this church? Amen. Yeah. This is a good place. God does stuff here. Seems like he does stuff here that he... Uh, we don't see everywhere. Yeah. Amen. One thing that sticks out is uh, spiritual hunger here. You know, God can't do anything uh, beyond the hunger of the people. Yeah. Now, some people wrestle with that. Well, God could do anything. He's God. Well, from a power standpoint, that is correct. He did form the earth. He created man. So from a power standpoint, we have evidence that God can do anything. Yet he gave earth over to Adam. And so thus, uh, since that, and you know the story, Adam and Eve uh, gave in to Satan and gave their authority in this world over to Satan. And then Jesus had to come thousands of years later and die on the cross and then go to, to hell and take back the keys that, he, that God originally gave Adam at, through salvation. Now we've been given the keys to the kingdom. And now we have authority, the same authority. The first thing God told Adam in Genesis was, uh, put, placed him in the garden. He said, uh, take authority and subdue everything around you. Well, that was the original sin. It wasn't the eating of the fruit. The eating of the fruit was a result of the original sin. The original sin was disobedience. Adam did not take authority over the snake and subdue him. That's the original sin. When the snake came in, when Satan took the body of a snake, yeah. Satan's a spirit, he's not a snake, right? You know that. 
but he, to occupy in this earth, you can only legally do anything in this earth if you have a body. Anything that doesn't have a body has no right to operate in this earth. That's why demon spirits seek out a man or a woman. That's why evil spirits have to occupy through people. You know, there's a lot of people hosting evil spirits that are not demon-possessed. They're demon-oppressed. And so they say everything that that demon tells them to say. They say opposite of what God says. Their countenance uh, doesn't speak of the glory of God. Their countenance exalts evil spirits and exalts Satan. Amen. You see this everywhere you go. People who are oppressed of devils, it's shown first on their face. There's no smiling in hell. There's not one smile. There's no one joking in hell. There's nothing funny happening in hell. That's why when you get in the right church, where the Lord is welcome to move, there's lots of smiles, there's lots of joy, there's lots of laughter, there's lots of hope, there's lots of peace, and it shows on the face. You can tell when somebody's truly spiritual. Just look at their face. Why do you think the enemy, uh, first and foremost, in the day we're living in, is, is uh, uh, brought in a virus that has caused the government out of fear to make people cover their face? Because your face shows the glory of God on you. Am I saying don't wear the mask? Listen, we can get over a mask. I believe God can do anything through me. People can still see me smiling even through my mask. People can see the joy of the Lord in my eyes and in my eyebrows and in my hair and in my teeth and on my ears and on my neck and everything below my neck. People can see the glory of God. They can. You can't look at me and not see Jesus in me. You know, the first time I met Mary Frances Varallo, I have it in my Bible. I was looking at the flyleaf of my Bible the other day. I write notable things and dates in here. Where was that? In 1997 at North Bay Christian Center in Mobile, Alabama, quote, Mary Frances shook her hands. She said, Joey, I see Jesus in your eyes. So mask or no mask, my eyes tell of the goodness of God, tell that Jesus is alive in me. What do your eyes say today? What does your face say today? You know, you can't fool the system. Truly spiritual people, people who spend time with the Lord, it shows up on their face, it shows up in their eyes. And then it comes out their mouth. And it works through their hands. And it's in their conversation. You can't hide the glory of God. If you spend time with the Lord and, oh man, he wants to give you a testimony that would come out of your mouth, and if it doesn't immediately come out of your mouth, it would show forth on your clothes and on your countenance. You're to be a walking, living testimony of him everywhere you go. Amen! Amen. You're to be a walking, living testimony everywhere you go that Jesus is alive in you and God has been good to you. Before anyone ever hears a word you say, they should pick up that you've been with God. What would it take for you to testify in your daily life? What would it take for you to get so committed to him that all you want to do is serve him more? What would it take for you to have a hunger in you that would cause you to come to church early? What would it take? What would he have to do? We're talking about the God that created the heavens and the earth. Had countless testimonies in 66 books of the Bible. He fed Elijah with birds. 
He saved a man's home when he flooded the earth. Everyone had access. Noah told the whole world, a flood's coming. He testified of it for over 80 years. And he could only win his family. Nobody believed him until it was too late. Countless testimonies of the goodness of God. We have such evidence that God wants to break through on people's lives who will invite him in. He can't come without an invitation. Oh, but if you invite him in and say, Lord, this is what it would take for me to serve you. Do you think he could accommodate you very quickly? But be careful what you ask for. I made a deal with the Lord just a few years ago. And I said, Lord, I will dance before you unashamedly. I'll dance before you in front of people and I will make a mockery of my own body. I will make an outcast before people. Every time I'm in the presence of the Lord, every time I get into worship and praise as the Lord leads me, I will dance before you. One of the greatest days of my life was when I gave my dance back over to the God. When I gave my feet back over to him, oh, you have a wonderful dance. You inspired this sermon today. The way you move. I like the way you move. Bum, bum, bum. I like the way. I like the way. The way you move tells that you've been set free. I don't have to hear your full testimony. The way you move before the Lord. And I know it's not a show. You know, Beyonce's a show. Beyonce's a show. Britney Spears is a show. But their show comes to an end eventually when their fame drains. But you don't even have to try because, because God's done something uh, obviously so, so wonderful that, that you just can't help it. And that's good for her, but what would God need to do for you to have your dance what would God have to do for you to give up your pride? Pride's an evil spirit that will suck the life out of you and keep every miracle. Pride will keep finances out of your bank account and keep a, a sad story in your mouth of how bad you've had it over the years and it's the government's fault and it's this and that. Pride will simply uh, console you and tell you it's okay and it's, it's not your fault and blah, 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 blah. Pride will keep you from ever entering into your promised land. And I don't care if you like it or not, and if this is the last day that I ever get to see you again, pride will kill you, but not before it guts you and makes a mockery of you. Pride is a killer. Don't tell me you don't want to be free to praise and rejoice in the Lord. I lived in New England for nearly a dozen years. I lived in one of the coldest parts of New England up in the White Mountains. There's no sunshine up there for much of the year. It might go three weeks, and it may be below zero, 20 below, 30 below. Canada had nothing on us. And the spirit of depression and people and the suicide rates... But I've seen what the Lord can do to people in dire straits situation. I've seen what the Lord can do, what he wants to do. 
He wants to give you a testimony that you just could not help but just on a daily basis be reminded of where you once were and where he alone has put you. You know, they sell more lottery tickets in Berlin, New Hampshire, a town of 6,000, than in towns around New England of 100,000. People desperate for an idea of joy. I see people who can't feed their babies every day lined up in the local Irving station. How do you know they can't feed them? Just look at them. They're wearing old, tattered clothing. Clothes that are so dirty and worn out. Their fingernails are unkempt and covered in the tar of the three packs of cigarettes they smoke. They're slaves in every part of their life. And they work 20 or 30 or 40 hours a week and take much of that paycheck right to the bank to get cash to go buy little scratch tickets. And some of them have done it for so long they don't bother scratching anymore. They take the ticket, they scan it, and they already know before they buy it, they're still a loser. It's the saddest thing in the world to see a guy in his 20s who has the whole world ahead of him and spend every last dime he's got in hopes that he might have a break. Because there's visions of all of us of what I would do and what I would live like if I was freed from this world system and nobody could tell me what to do or where to go or how to live. Most people are in slavery regardless of the color of their skin or where they came from or what laws are being had or who's saying what. Most people in the earth today are in some sort of slavery and their countenance is the first thing to tell of it. Many people in church are in slavery. They want to be free. Oh, I would give my whole life to you, Lord, if it was just this way. Why keep that in your mind? Why keep that between you and the devil when God is the only one that could grant that desire? 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish, God is saying, above all things. Did you ever think about what God's desire is above all things? Religion says God's desire is that you become a servant Serve me, or I'll make you miserable. That's what they teach. Some of you came out of that denomination and found freedom right here at Highway Church, but that's what they teach. God's greatest desire is to grind you out and make you a servant. No. You don't know anything about the Bible. There's not a spiritual bone in your body and you're a liar. And only demons speak that way. And only demon oppressed and demon possessed people speak that way. That just sounds like the devil. 3 John 2 says, Beloved. Who's the beloved? We are. Beloved, I wish, 
You ever got, wondered what God wishes for you? You know, God doesn't need one single more servant. That's why he created angels. Don't you remember the prodigal son? Remember when he came back to his father after so long of eating with the pigs? The Bible says that he spent all his money on riotous living. His brother was the one that judged him. He said, how come you give him the fatted calf? You've never even thrown a party for me and my friends. He said, he's been out throwing away his money on partying and prostitutes. It's interesting. There's nothing in that whole scripture before that that said this guy spent any money on prostitutes. It actually tells of what his brother's been thinking about. Your accusers and the, the judge around you has nothing to do with you. Remember the son? He throws himself before his dad. He says, Dad, I, I've blown it. I've thrown all my money away. He said, if you'd just make me as one of your servants, just let me come and be a, a slave in your house. And his dad we don't take time, I'll just paraphrase. His dad interrupts him as he's pouring out his heart and he calls to the servant. He says, hey, go get my best robe. Go get my ring with my initial on it. That's a credit card. That was the credit card. Put it on my dad's account. Go get my best robe and go ahead and kill the fatted calf. The best one. We have much to rejoice about because my son. Religion tries to make you a servant, a slave mentality. God doesn't need more servants. Millions upon millions of angels are sent to not only serve God but to serve you. Yes, we have the heart of a servant but we remain yet sons. The difference between a son and a servant is how the king looks at you. Who is this man that you've made higher than the angels? You were never meant to be a servant, but only to have the heart of a servant. You're meant to be a son. What does your dad have to do to get your full attention? Oh, I'm fully committed, Joey. I love Jesus with all my heart. Prove it. Just prove it. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know, you can't fake it. This is not a scolding this morning. The Lord reminds me all the time. All the time. Some things that he wants from me. I made that deal three years ago. I said, Lord, you can have my dance again. I hadn't danced in church in so long. Because somewhere I got religious. Somewhere along the way, in the hustle and bustle of ministry, you get enough pats on the back and people tell you, you're, you're a good minister. You do a good job. I like that harmonica. 
and, and suits get nicer and clothing gets better and cars get better and life gets better. You know, it was only about nine years ago that I was bankrupt. Had no money. Lost a house. Went through a horrible divorce. Just 12 years ago that everything was bumming. You know, I'm way too selfish. I never considered, never considered once suicide. People say, when it got so dark, did you consider offing yourself? Not even once. I'm way too selfish for that. <laughs> no. But, but I was miserable. I was so miserable. I was so upset. And just in moments, it seemed like the Lord gave me such a radical, wonderful testimony. The testimony of my righteousness is not a scolding thing. But it's always there to remind me of how good he is. What would it take for you? You may have been born again all these years. But what? I think I hear the Lord saying, what can I do for you right now? What can I do for you right now? Because his desire, 3 John 2, beloved, that's you. I wish, I hope, I desire, I pray above all. You should circle the word all right there. He wouldn't have said all, which is totality. That means everything. It's the biggest word in the Bible, though it's three letters. Above everything else, my desire is this, that you prosper and be in health to the degree that your soul prospers. If I could prosper your soul, your mind, will, and emotions on something, God just wants to know, What's it going to take? What does he need to do today that you would see him today? What does he need to do for you today that you would testify, man, he's real. Not just because the Bible says it, but, but he's real. This is what happened to me today. Every time you come to the church, God's just going, okay, what can I do for you today? What do you need? You need joy? Let me bring you something. You need peace? Let me, let me calm your nerves. You need healing? How can I help you? Not because he wants something of you. There's something in a testimony. I learned about the great uh, benefits of having a testimony. Like a bona fide one. I'm, I'm used to testifying about other people. I, I do that all the time. I testify of David's victory over Goliath. I testify about Jesus' victory for all mankind over death, hell, and the grave. I testify of all these biblical characters, so to speak, of their great victories. But I found what I really want is just testimonies and victories of my own I'm selfish like that it's great that David had a victory it's great that Jonah had a victory it's great that Abraham had victories and those are good and 
I'm excited for them, but they're all dead. And here I am. I need some victory. I'm selfish like that. Lord, these are all good things. Praise the Lord. Uh, but if I hear another sermon about someone else that's not me getting the money and getting the health and getting deliverance, I'm going to freak out. What about me? What about my house? What about my stuff? What about my kids? What about my home? What about my marriage? Voice it. Voice it. And don't voice it to everyone around because just like you, we're all selfish. We don't want to hear it. Because while you're screaming, what about me? You're preaching to the choir. What about you? I love you, but if it comes down to you getting yours and me getting mine, I will step over you to get mine. And then I'll be glad to help you once my safety and security is just fine. Don't act like it's not true. You're not that holy. You're not that spiritual. We all like to think so. It's the age-old truth that if I had more, then I could do something for you. But as long as I'm down and out, I'm in a worse off boat in my eyes than you are. God wants to take all of that away. If God wants to take something from you, it's every excuse you have of why not glorify Him. Can I share some testimonies? Look at Matthew 9. Oh, you have no idea what that dance does. What's your name? Kelly. Don't ever lose it because it'll take you places. It'll take you places. It'll bring blessing in your life. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's an underestimated verse. I've seen people who were once down and out get, get their victory in small chunks at a time and dance their way to prosperity. Yeah. Yeah. You lose all your pride in life, you'll find the grace of God in ample supply. But once it hits and it starts flowing, don't forget where it took you from. If Satan can't completely occupy and own you and possess you, he'll settle for an area to lift you up and exalt you in pride to defeat you that way. If we keep our humility, it keeps us in a place of prosperity. Amen. Amen. Matthew 9, 27. I'm kind of like a, my wife's so elegant. She just, doesn't she? She's like the fondant icing. I'm like a shotgun. Mark 9, 27. And Jesus looking upon them 
saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Amen. Don't forget that. As long as you're with God, all things are possible. Can you see yourself with him? The Bible says you're seated with him in heavenly places. Far above all this stuff you're dealing with. Can you see yourself seated with him? If you can see yourself seated above the situation and the circumstance, then you always see yourself with God. And so for you, maybe not everyone else, but for those who see themselves with God, all things are possible. In impossible situations, I've had so many people tell me, this is impossible, that is impossible, this could never work, that would never work. But with God, all things are possible. And if I can see myself seated with God, then for me, not, maybe not for you, but for me, all things will be possible. Now you have to be cautious because some people misinterpret the idea that there's nothing, there's nothing I can't do. And some will hear that because of where they view they're seated. And they'll go, hmm, yeah. hmm. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Nothing's impossible. He can't do everything. And then they tell their wife, what'd you think of that preacher? Wondering what she thought. To make sure they're on you know, the same negative playing field. I didn't like how he talked. That boldness isn't real. He's got problems just like the rest of us. He ain't so hot. He ain't so holy. He ain't so spiritual. Don't we do it? It tells where you're seated. You try and pull people down around you who are doing good. They start testifying of the goodness of God, and you think it's pride. No, you're in pride. They're enjoying victory. Let them have their day in the sun. Rejoice for them. Hey, lift up. Hey, you start rejoicing for somebody else who's doing well. You'll see that that spirit of joy and peace and prosperity get off on you. But as long as you're pulling everybody down around you, no. We're all seated with him. See yourself. But the question is, what does he have to do? And I don't mean figuratively. You know, Joey, these miracles that you talk about and the blessing and the favor, what's he really saying here? I know that the Bible said God made Abraham in rich in gold and cattle and silver. But what's he really talking about? Did he really mean gold? Was it real cattle he was talking about? It just simply says, you're clueless. Of course there was real gold and cattle and silver. If you go on to read about Abraham's life, he and his nephew and his family could not even live in the same land together. They had too much physical substance. How full is your attic? How much gold you got stored up in your basement? How many cattle do you have? Is there room on your farm 
for more cattle? Does your bank account still have room to be covered on the FDIC $200,000 insurance? Right? No. Until the blessings of God go from a place of figuratively to physically. Like, God, I need some money. That would make me testify of you. Lord, I'm willing to tell the whole world on national television how you alone blessed me. Watch what you asked for. I've made deals with God. I know a young man. Maybe he's watching. I won't tell him. But if this has happened before. There's a young man named David out there from Concord, New Hampshire. And he lives currently in Redding, California. And three years ago I had coffee with him. And his father's a pastor. And he told me over coffee how the Lord healed his wife of an unknown incurable disease and how she was laid up in a hospital for over 30 days on very expensive medication, experimental drugs at the price tag of thousands of dollars a day and how he was strung out on drugs and how he found himself at a beach in Oceanside, California, and he was walking along the beach, high as a unicorn. And he said, Lord, I know you're real, and I know I've spent my young age running from you for one reason or another. And he said, meanwhile, my bride, my wife, is laid up in a hospital bed. And he said, if you will heal her body, I will serve you all the days of my life without question. Would you not know it that by the end of that day, the doctors did not have an answer of why she, her blood and everything instantly cleared up, but he made a deal with God. And if he's out there listening, God did his part. You must make good on yours. How many deals I've made with God over the years. Said, Lord, if you'd just get me through this. Listen, God will keep getting you through. You're not going to exhaust his patience. Keep dealing with the Lord. Religion will say, well, you can't bargain with God. (laughs) Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You can bargain with God all day long. What's your bargain? What's he got to do? When you take away all the excuses and you cut out all the religion and you just get down to brass tacks as Grammy Weeze used to say. Joe Bo, don't call me that. That was Grammy Weeze. Joe Bo, let's get down to brass tacks here where the rubber meets the road. Let's just get all of it out of the way. What's it going to take for you to clean your room? I'm just a little guy. My parents would go on a ministry trip for a week and Grammy and Grandpa would watch me and my brother and Mom and Dad are coming home and so Grammy's cleaned the house and we've been helping but my room be a disaster. 
Jojo, come here. Just a little guy. What is it going to take to get this room spick and span? I'm about eight years old. I'd say, Grammy, I think a $10 bill would do it. <laughs> and I didn't know that my parents had left money for such an occasion. You know, in our house, in our house, report card time came out. You got, uh, you got $10 for an A. I didn't get many A's. So I didn't see the 10 spot very often. I needed extra help. I did summer school a lot of summers. My parents hired uh, tutors. But you got a $5 bill for a B. Maybe it was a 20 for an A. I remember being a little kid, and if you got straight A's, you got 100 bucks. That was big bucks for that. Now, some people go, well, you shouldn't motivate. Well, you're missing the point. You should motivate. That's what's lacking in life. Without motivation, you get to a place, a hard spot, and you go, it's not worth it anymore. And meanwhile, God's going, maybe it's not 100 bucks. Maybe you need like $10,000 to get your can out of bed and get your mouth working. Here's the thing. If God could put his finger on your business and make you want to just tell the world that Jesus lives. You know, when you're rich, it's a lot better than being broke. It is. That's a no-brainer. Hey, you can be, you can be broke <laughs> or you can be rich. Just think about it. Take a day or two. What would you like? This is exactly the words of Jesus before I bring before you this day blessing and a curse, death and life. He even told you the right answer just in case. Per se, you don't know the right one. Jesus is like, choose life. Blessing, curse, choose blessing. Just trust me on this. I know you haven't seen as much of it lately, but choose blessing. Blessing. Choose it. Choose it. What would it take? What would it take? Verse 29, Jesus answered, and said, Verily I say unto you, oh, am I on the wrong one here? Oh, I'm reading, no, I'm, I'm in the wrong one, aren't I? Did I? No, no, go to uh, Matthew. I'm in the wrong one. I said Matthew. Well, they're all good. You know, I'm not going to receive correction from people in the audience. I'm not embarrassed. Oh, yes, now it's, it's all coming. I, I fixed it. I got it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Page to hear the voice of God, I'm just going to say. Matthew 9, 27. 
And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men, everyone say blind men, followed him crying. You ever wondered how they followed him? Seems, is it conundrum? Is that the right word? Seems very weird. Two blind men following Jesus. Jesus must have walked very loudly. His sandals were made of wood, I guess. I don't know. Wait. <laughs> Two blind men following Jesus. It's like the start of a great joke, right? How were they following him? Come on, boys. It, it, could, have been, it could have been the anointing on him. Could have been the glory of God. I, I don't know. I don't know, but that's what it said. That just came out. I'd never seen that before. The revelation. Two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. What do you think they wanted? Sight. Have mercy on me. I know you can do it. I've heard that you can do it. And I need it. So would you have mercy on me? Verse 28, When he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. Now I've goofed off for several minutes, so I've eaten up some of my time. I was going to go after this to Mark 7, 31 through 37, the miracle of the deaf and dumb man healed. He tells that man, after he heals him uh, 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 of being deaf and dumb, he tells him, don't tell anybody. There's a series of things in the New Testament where the Lord heals people, but he tells them, don't testify of it. And we know why. Because his appointed time, there was a time for Jesus' fame to spread throughout the land, and eventually that fame, because of pride and, and arrogance in his accusers would eventually take him to the cross you know Satan would have never crucified Jesus had he known the eventual outcome and so Jesus had a plan that he was walking out and so everyone they got healed he said hey keep this to yourself but the fame kept growing which tells me they didn't do what Jesus said (laughs) you've never seen before And this man, Jesus, heals you? Put yourself in their shoes. Well, I'll just tell my wife. I'll just tell my kids. Well, I got to tell my brother. How do I explain this? I can see. I can't keep that to myself. And his fame spread. I was going to go through a series of these stories. Now, I remember... In Coimbatore, India. It's the first time I went. I was with Aaron Jones. This is so many years ago in the in two thousand or ninety ninety nine. Ninety nine. We went to India for a month. I remember we had a three night meeting at this church. A couple hundred people came. And I just had a knowing that the Lord wanted to heal someone who was deaf. 
And it was a word of knowledge. And I said, someone here, you're deaf. And of course, they couldn't hear me. <laughs> but I said, there's a deaf person here. And, and I just see the Lord's going to open your ears. And a lady brought her, her little girl down. And I just acted out. There was no hoopla, no fanfare, as they say. I just did what Jesus did. I put my fingers in her ears. I said, Lord, do it. Ears, you open up in the name of Jesus. Deaf spirit, you leave her. Dumb spirit, you leave her. And just instantly, her ears opened. I knew the instant it did. And her countenance changed. And she looked up at her mom, and all of a sudden she's hearing things. You know, there was no stopping that girl from instantly with, with the, the voice that she had. She'd never spoken before. She could make noise. But she shouted, Jesus. And somebody took her aside, and about 10 minutes later, they said, with her own voice, she just confessed Jesus as her Lord. You know, both of her parents and her siblings gave Jesus their heart that night because of one little miracle. It was what they needed to experience in their life to forever have a testimony. I'll bet you that girl's still testifying today. If she's not, even if she's out in the world, how would you ever look back and deny that God did this wonderful thing? For some of us, we need to look back over the years to a time in our life where there was an undeniable, miraculous thing that took a hold of us for a while. And if that fire has been set out, hear me, it's not over. Ask God for another undeniable thing. But you've got to choose what it is. You get to write the contract. Some people say, well, if the Lord would make me a millionaire, he would. Well, you'll have to talk to God about that. I can't make heads or tails. I have seen people who only the Lord did that very thing through. Now, it wasn't overnight. You're not going to wake up. I shouldn't say that. Maybe you would wake up tomorrow and miraculously somehow a million dollars finds its way to you. I don't know. But if you can put your faith in it and make a contract with God and say, Lord, this is what I need to serve you fully, to get all the buy-in. You said three things when you introduced me. They were in my notes. All in was one of them. What would it take? What's God got to do to get you excited, to get you all in. Think about it. You're going to be forced to think about this all week. Here's the thing. God wants an answer. He doesn't want it for anything but to bless you. And he wants, to, he wants one more opportunity now to prove himself real to you. I was in Mobile, Alabama, preaching many years ago. This would have been maybe 2001, 2002. I was a youth pastor there. And I had a word of knowledge about a specific healing. And a lady came down. And the Lord said, tell her this. Said, if I heal her body right now, if I touch her right now, would she live the rest of her life and testify that I healed her. And I said, this is what I hear the Lord saying. If you leave instantly healed right now, undeniably, would you testify about it? 
And she had tears in her eyes. She said, that would be great. I would totally testify. I'd tell everybody what happened to me. I said, according to your faith. I put my hands on her. She went out under the power and she stayed out for a while. We went about, went on doing other things that night. She got up about 20 minutes later. I said, is it done? And she checked in her body. <laughs> she started weeping. She said, I can't, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I said, now testify. And she started testifying how she had lived in chronic pain in her joints and how she had been diagnosed early on with early onset um, uh, arthritis, juvenile arthritis. She had lived in pain all of her life and she was on medicine and painkillers all of her life and how she couldn't find the pain. And I said, testify, make good on your word. And I saw her years later still testifying. What would it take for you to have a lifelong testimony? What would it take? You need a revival in your business? You need a revival in your marriage? You want to fall in love again? What would it take? What's that hidden prayer? We're living in a time that time's so short. Don't go to eternity having some hidden prayer request that, man, I would have gone all in if I just could have seen this one thing, could have had this one thing. Talk to God about it. If you being evil, the Bible says, or natural, know how to give good things unto your children, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give good things to them that ask Him? No hidden request. No hidden thing from Him. Complete openness. You know, a scripture came to mind this summer. I never heard this like this. The preacher said, he said, notice the verse that says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Did I not say this in your name? Did I not cast out devils in your name? And he said, for some, the Lord will look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's not everything that you know about him. It's more about openness to him. Does God know that one thing that it would take? Well, sure he does. He's God. He knows everything. God doesn't want to be your stalker. The guy that knows everything, that's kind of hiding out, hoping you'd have a relationship with him. Oh, I'd make you so happy if you'd just share with me. No, God's not a pervert. God's not a weirdo hiding out. But he does wait. And he waits patiently. He waits patiently in hopes that you just see him for what he is. Maybe for the first time in your life that he's nothing but good. And he can make your dreams come true. <laughs> he only wants to give you can't say it without laughing. He only wants to give you things that make you smile. He doesn't want your life from this day forward to be grinding it out. We take pride in grinding it out, don't we? <laughs> I remember some of the most rugged men in my church. 
take great pride in how hard they have it and how long they've had it so hard. And they'd share this with me over coffee, and I'd say, man, all I can say is congratulations. <laughs> Worked so hard, forgot how to vacation. Na, 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 I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you made it. Uh, uh, you know that one? My mama called, said, congratulations. Congratulations. I worked so hard, forgot how to vacation. Some of us need a vacation. Like, what about Bob? You need a vacation from your problems. I'm on vacation, Winnipesaukee, I sail like a sailor. You haven't seen What About Bob, I guess? I think God's shouting at some of us this morning. Let me give you a vacation from your problems. Let me give you a vacation from your problems. Cast your cares upon me. You know, life's not meant to be rugged. I can't tell you how many people... I've seen try and get out of Berlin and Gorham, New Hampshire. You know where they all go? What is it about Florida? I've been to Florida. It ain't that great. I mean, how, how many times are you going to go to Disney? You can only ride the teacups so many times. Space Mountain is great for a while. You know, some of those same people that live 20 years grinding it out. Got to Florida, and within six months, 12 months, right back up in New Hampshire. Geography doesn't make you happy. A location doesn't make you happy. Only God can give you that undeniable thing that brings joy into your situation in your life. But that question keeps coming up in my heart. What can I do for you? Aaron Jones, he was here this week, one of my best buddies. I brought him up to New Hampshire. We hadn't spoken in 10 years. And I was going through a rough time, and my church needed a revival, and I needed a revival. And I said, I know one man that I could probably get here. So I called him. I said, Aaron, it's been a long time. I said, you still, you still preaching? I knew in his voice the minute he picked up the phone, he still had all the fire that I had let go. He was on top of the world with his mouth, and I was to the depths of despair in my whole life. I said, Aaron, I need you to come to New Hampshire. I said, I have no money to give you, but I need you to come. I said, I'll take up an offering every night for you and every penny. I said, but I've got a church of 50 people and half of them are on government welfare. I said, we could believe God together for enough money to get you here and home and enough money to feed you while you're here and you can stay at my house. I said, but we need here. <laughs> we need something. And I think you've got what we need. 
One thing Aaron had was unbelievable amounts of joy in his life. And so we talked for a few weeks. He booked a plane ticket. And I put an advertisement in the newspaper for a whole week with Aaron Jones' face on it. I said, miracle man. I said, bring the lost. Bring the hurting. Bring the skeptics. Have you ever seen a miracle? I made it like a circus page <laughs> on purpose. You know, we filled up a hotel hall. There was twice as many people came to those night meetings. The first night, I couldn't believe it. We had 80-something people, and my average Sunday morning was 40-something. People I'd never seen in town. Some I knew belonged to the Catholic Church. We had our skeptics there. And Aaron simply started reading scriptures about Jesus meeting needs. And I'll never forget it. He said, there's a woman here. He said, I don't know who you are, but you've had multiple surgeries on your ankle, and you've got another one scheduled. He said, if you'll get out of your seat and come down here, he said, I'll lay hands on you. The power of God will fix your ankle, and you won't be able to find a pain. And I got on the edge of my seat, and I said, that's the Aaron Jones I know. This lady, Deb Davis, came down, local business owner. Her husband, Arnie, he was the local arborist. She owned uh, um, a, a store called Deb's. She owned a tanning salon. They were well-to-do in that town. She said, it must be me. She said, I've had three surgeries on my ankle. And she said, I'm scheduled for another one coming up. And Aaron said, I'll take it a step farther. He said, if you can even find a little bit of pain after we say amen, if you can even find a trace of pain, he said, I won't preach another night. And I thought, oh, my God. This is the first night. We've promised five nights. And then I got really out on the edge of my seat. I said, well, here we go. It's all or nothing. We don't need four games in a row. It's the bottom of the ninth right now. Aaron Jones is here. And he said, Jesus is going to heal this lady's ankle who's scheduled for her fourth surgery. And if she doesn't get her healing, if she can find an ounce of pain after we pray, he's going to shut the meeting down. And if he shuts the meeting down, I don't have any money to pay for his airline ticket. And he's here for 11 days. Something about that brought the joy of the Lord right into my heart. And I was reminded of what it was like to have faith in God. <laughs> Faith's coming to you right now. You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same after this morning. Right now, faith's coming to you. But here's the thing. You're going to have to reckon with that faith. And it's going to scratch at you until you respond with words to God and tell him what it is that is the desire of your heart that's going to set you on fire for him. And you'll never live the same. You'll never be the same. You'll look at yourself. You'll look at yourself six months from now, three months from now, 30 days from now, a week from now, some of you. You will look back at this day and go, that was the day. I don't know what happened to me, but I am a different person. I'm not the same man. And your wife will say of you that you're not the same husband you were. There's a kindness in your life. There's a kindness and endearing you that God's bringing some love back into your life. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. 
His name is Jesus. That night I heard Aaron Jones. Jesus was knocking on Joey Roberts' door. And he said, do you believe I can? Do you believe I can? And I sat there, and I had to be honest. I said, Lord, I know you can. I sure hope you do right now. When Aaron said we're shutting down the meeting, if Deb Davis's ankle doesn't get fixed right here in front of 80 skeptical people, if he doesn't do it right now, I remember what it was like to stand up in front of thousands of people in the late 90s at my first crusade. And I said, if Jesus Christ, who sent me all the way here to India from the United States, cannot heal cancer tonight, then he's a liar. And if Jesus Christ cannot heal inflammation tonight, he's a liar. And if he can't open blind eyes and deaf ears to prove that he is the living Christ, he is a liar. And if he doesn't do it right here, I will set my Bible on fire in front of all you people. And I'm a liar. And there is no heaven. And there is no hell. And there is no, uh, there is no sin if he can't do it. And that was the bargain I used to make. At every meeting. People say, oh, I don't know if I talk like that about God. That's the problem. Until God is placed on the spot in your life, you'll always wonder if he's real. And until you put him there on the spot and say, God... I believe you and I want to take you at your word. Work with me. Work with me, Lord. He's been longing for that prayer. He's been longing for that prayer. I can't tell you how many hundreds of people have come to me with desperate situations and say, I wanted him to do this. I hoped he would. He can and he will. There's something about just holding on to that idea. He wants to give you reasons to hold on. He wants to give you reasons. I don't know your past. I don't know where things have gone wrong in your life. I don't know what your regrets might be. I don't know what you might even be holding against him. But he's able. I think God's saying to some folks, hey, just give me one more shot. Know this. Any place where faith fell through, it was never on God's part. It was always on my part. He's infallible. Any place where it didn't work, he's infallible. That's the first step, is recognizing his infallibleness, that he's perfect. Humility always wins. And he's not withholding any good thing from anybody, but he longs to be on the spot again. In your life, where you say it's going to take Jesus or the whole thing's going to burn down. (laughs) He just goes, you forget, I am the man who created everything. I can fix that. I can fix this. I do the impossible every day, all day. That's what I do. You know, Deb Davis got her ankle that night. (laughs) Aaron prayed a simple prayer. He said, ankle in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he said, now stomp your foot and try and find the pain. She hobbled her way down there. I saw it. 
She's destined for a third, fourth surgery. I saw it. I heard it. <laughs> she said, okay. And, she, and then she looked up. <laughs> and then she started laughing. <laughs> and she looked at her mom. This is crazy. This is silly. <laughs> and she was questioning whether or not she was having hysterical moment. And Aaron said, how is it? Are we shutting down the meeting? <laughs> you know, her testimony was immediate. She told everybody in that room at least 50 times, I can't believe what God has done for me. <laughs> we think we would believe it when we see it. But the gospel we preach of, the good news, is actually the too good to be true news to my flesh. It's just too good. She couldn't believe it in the middle of her miracle. You know, the next night, she brought her mom back, who was in her 80s, and her mom gave her heart to the Lord over the miracle. Deb rekindled her relationship with the Lord. Deb brought her husband, Arnie, to church. After being in the Catholic Church for over 60 years, 50, 60, their whole life, over one miracle, they said, we've never seen that here. They joined the church over a miracle. What would it take for you to join the church? Like to really join the church. Like to get involved amen there's something here there's something here you say well what is the answer I, I don't know what the problem is only you know the problem and you know the answer you know the longing of your heart I tell you this Jesus is the answer Jesus is the answer he wants to fix it make it right heal it deliver it he wants to make good on his word. Can we stand to our feet? I know I took extra amount of time. I always do. <laughs> Praise God. I want you to lift your hands today with me. I want you to just imagine that, that he, Jesus, the risen Christ, is here today. And he's just face to face with you. There's no getting away from him. Like it or not, he's going home with you. And every time you close your eyes, you're going to start seeing him. And he's just going to keep asking the same question. What can I do for you? What can I do to get closer to you? What can I do to, to get in your heart? What can I do to get in your mind, to get in your thoughts again? Would you consider Jesus today? Would you consider him? Maybe terrible things are happening around you. Maybe all kinds of strife. Maybe, I don't know. But I know that he's your answer. He's done so many things for so many people. But most of them cried out. Those two blind men, they saw their answer on the inward. They couldn't see physically, but they knew he was there. And so they had no trouble they had no pride about saying, Jesus, I know you can fix it. I know you can heal me. Will you just heal me today? 
For some of you, that's it right there. Just call on him. Say, Lord, will you heal me today? We go to a faith church and we hear all about faith. And somehow, in my own life, I've let the message of faith make me feel bad about how much I can believe for. That's not what it's designed to do. Don't look to yourself today or what you can believe for. Look to him. If you say, man, I just don't know if I can believe him for anything, let him believe for you. Do you believe that he could believe for you? Do you believe that Jesus could believe for you? You could just be like me and say, Jesus, I need your faith today. Lord, I believe that you could believe for me. And then you just express to him what it is you need. Lord, would you believe with me today? Jesus wants to be our partner. He wants to be our prayer partner. If it's healing you need, you just say, Jesus, will you believe with me for healing? I believe you can. Lord, I ask you to heal my body today. Somebody's blood is being cleared up today. They found something in your blood. I don't know what it is, but it's being cleared up today. Whatever problems it's causing, it's just it's going away. It's being lifted off of you. Somebody's knees are being mended today. Hallelujah. You'll be able to bend. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody's muscle tissue is being healed today. Somebody's ribs, you've been cracked or fractured. you got pain in your ribs, it's being healed today. Somebody's lungs, you take a deep breath. You're being healed right now. You're being healed today. Jesus is touching you even before you ask. For somebody, God's working in your business. Somebody, God's got a job waiting for you. Just press into him. Say, Lord, lead me to that job. He wants to lead you to your promised land just like he led the children of Israel to theirs. God wants to lead you to your next promised land. For some of you, if it's financial, it's financial. You're in dire straits right now. Just call on him. Say, Lord, will you heal my finances? I believe you can. Lord, will you heal my bank account? I believe you can. Lord, I need some money today. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Will you call on Him today and ask Him to be your supply? Mm, some of you, it's mental. It's mental oppression. You haven't found peace since all this stuff's been going on. Give it to Him today. Say, Lord Jesus, will you touch my mind? Lord, will you touch my mind? Take care of these thoughts. Lord, I cast these thoughts over to you. I give them to you. I don't want them anymore. Hallelujah. Oh, and a marriage, marriage, your relationship, give it to him. Say, Lord, make me more generous. Make me kinder. Make me see through all the facades and all the stuff that's in front of me. Lord, help me get back to square one of love. Oh, bring love back into my life, Lord. Joy, joy is being restored right now. Joy, call on him for joy. Lord, I thank you that you're my joy. Lord, I ask you for more joy. Fill me up with joy today. Lord, give me a reason to rejoice, a reason to laugh. Hallelujah. He's doing it. He's doing it right now. Can you see him doing it? 
Can you see him doing it? Oh, he's doing it all over the place. I've got my eyes closed, but I see him dropping this on you and dropping that on you and dropping this for you. And he set these things just ahead of you just a day or two more now. It's coming to pass. It's coming to pass. Some of you have been praying. It's coming to pass. Hold on. Another couple of days, it's coming to pass. It's coming to pass. It's coming to pass. Some of your loved ones are being touched right now in the Spirit. They're not even here today. There's church members watching out there. And the Lord's drawing you and wooing you back to church saying it's safe it's okay come on back 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 hallelujah Mm, we'll never be the same again we'll never be the same again I'm never going to be the same again let's say that by faith right now all those things called out and if I didn't call out your thing you call out your thing but let's say that Say this with me, I'll never be the same. After today, everything changes. Everything's changing for me. Things are getting better in my life. Things are getting better for my home. My relationships are getting better. My finances are getting better. Oh, my love walk is getting better. Hallelujah. Life is good. Life is good. Life is good. Mm. Now listen. Wow, there's just a great, wonderful thing happening. If you're willing to bargain with the Lord by faith, you know it honors God when you just even acknowledge a bargain with Him. That means you believe He's real and that He's listening. That's a great step. When you're willing to say, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Only religion would say, well, you can't do that. I can do that with my earthly father. What makes you think I can't do it with my heavenly father? I used to tell my dad, hey, I'll mow the grass for 20 bucks. Remember, we were paying a lawn guy. I didn't, 20 bucks was a big deal. I didn't know we were paying the guy much more. My dad said, deal. Well, it was good for me. It was good for him. It was a good deal all the way around. You could come up with a wonderful deal while it works out for God and you. A good deal's a good deal. Quit talking yourself out of it. Say, Lord, I'm willing to testify of your goodness to five people. If you'll change this thing. Didn't Peter have a deal with Jesus? He said, hey, I want to walk on the water. Lord, if it's you, you bid me to come. A deal was made. Abraham made a deal with God. He cut covenant. It was a deal. Everything I've got is yours, Lord. But everything you've got is mine. Pretty good deal. You can get a really good deal. You could get a really good deal. What's the best deal you can come up with? But be cautious, because if you're listening with your spiritual ears, you might just hear an immediate, okay, you'll testify of me if I'll heal your knee? You said five people, I'll raise it to ten. Ten people, you'll have a noticeable difference right now. Deal, Lord. And you start doing something you couldn't do. And you say, you don't have chapter and verse for that. 
Well, you don't have chapter and verse not to do that. So we're in a conundrum. We can't prove each other wrong, so let's prove each other right. Make a deal with God this week about your businesses. Maybe you're out of work. Make a deal with God. What are you going to do on His behalf if He gets you the job that you're looking for? What are you going to do? Are you going to testify about Him? Are you going to tell some people on that job how you got this job? Not because you're so smart and you're so sharp and you're so hot. No, Jesus did this for me. I can't explain it any more than that. How did you get that promotion? Jesus did it. You're not even qualified to work here. I know it's crazy. Don't tell anybody that part. I see spirit-filled people making deals with God all the time. Lord, I know I don't deserve to be in that position, but if you'd give it to me, Lord, I know you could train me real quick on how to do it. Lord, I'm a quick learner. Lord, you know me. I'll study. If you'll just trust me with that position at that level, Lord, I'll make you proud. And he looks down and goes, you have no idea. I've been waiting for you to ask. And all of a sudden you find yourself seated at a higher place in life. Don't forget who got you there. Make some deals with God this week. Write it down and say, Lord, you do this. Lord, you bring my son back home. You bring my daughter back home to you. And Lord, I'll, I'll testify of you. You get real with God. You'll see. He'll move heaven and earth. He'll do whatever he has to do to put a smile on your face again. But don't forget the deals. Don't forget the deal. There's a deal happening, Sue. We prayed for you. We talked about you this morning. And so it's turning around. And I already know in the natural because we've spoken. You make a deal with God. And it goes beyond that because we're partners we pray for our partners. So you know this, we're in agreement. Things are happening. Great testimony. There's something about your family. A born testimony. God hasn't brought you all this way to just let it be obscure and wondering. No, no, everything's coming. You watch. It's a family unit that can't be pierced. It can't be swayed in any way. The, the glory of God is on your house. You'll have every testimony and more. There's testimony waiting in the wings. And you, you, testimonies. I don't know you, but I know you're hungry. We've had a couple of conversations. You've shared your hunger. The Lord can work with that. So what deal will you make with the Lord? What deal will you make with the Lord as a couple? What's the desire of your heart? Is it a cruise? Serious? Is it a vacation? Is it, a, is it a thing? Is it a sports car? Is it a, is it a house? Is it, I don't know what it is. But God knows. But he wants to hear it. Lord, we're asking you for this. And Father, now see, he wants to do it without you promising anything. But I tell you, it does you good to get some skin in the game. You know what it does? When I make good on my word after he makes good on his word... It brings us closer together. Abraham made some deals with God. You know, Jesus could only come and be crucified because Abraham was willing to offer Isaac. Deals were made. Deals. The ultimate deal 
Abraham in covenant with God, the ultimate deal for all of us. God said, hey, you get in covenant with me, I'll give you a son. And it was too big for them. They said, Lord, we're so old. My wife can't bear a a child. (laughs) We're going on 100. But God knew the desire of their heart. They had voiced it somewhere over 100 years. They probably had plenty of time. (laughs) God, if you're listening, God said, I'm going to make your name great. He changed their name from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Abraham, the father of many nations. And she laughed. And God called her on it. said, I promised you this, and you laughed. She said, I didn't laugh. <laughs> You're going to hear the voice of the Lord more clear. Some of you, your desire is to, to uh, be, be led by the Spirit at a greater level. Voice that to God. Say, Lord, if you'll help me be led by the Spirit in my daily life. I hear these testimonies all the time. Of, the Lord told me this, and the Lord told me that, and this was the outcome. The Lord told me to say this, and, the Lord to, and that's the desire of your heart. You hear that, and that charges something in you. You're like, that's what I want. Voice it to Him, and tell Him what you'll do with it. Lord, if you'll start leading me by the inward witness. It is a still, small voice. That's what the Bible says. Do you know what? I'm one of those guys when my stereo is cranked up, other people are like this and it's just not loud enough for me. Say, what's that have to do with the still small voice? I believe he can amplify it in a way that you can hear him. Don't get bound by the scripture and say, well, I just can't hear it. It's a still small voice. Say, Lord, just momentarily for the next couple of years, would you amplify your voice in my spirit? Help me hear you more clearly. And God goes, sure, I could do that. I mean, I made everything. Why not? Yeah, I'll talk a little louder. You take all the religion away from it, and then you're just stuck with an answer. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Lord, could you just amplify your voice a little bit more? And he goes, all right. And that's it. And then you go on and you hear his voice clear. And you're like, but then the deal is, what are you going to do with it? How is it now going to change you? I can't tell you how many times I asked God for money and I made big promises of what I would do with it for him. Lord, if you'd give me $1,000, I'd give a half of it to the pastor. And somehow through a series of events that money shows up unexpectedly and I forget all about the pastor (laughs) because there's so many natural things it's like well this came from a rebate that happened and that's not the prayer that I prayed (laughs) ah you ever done that? Lord if you'll give me five hundred dollars I'll tithe on every penny of it. 50 for you. And all of a sudden, 500 comes to you. And you blew it all on something. A piece of furniture. And that still small voice goes, Hey, the, the 10%. Did, did you forget? The, the 10%. The, remember 50. And then you come back and go, Lord, if you give me 500 more... And then the 500 comes in, 
And then that goes on something else. Listen, you're never going to exhaust his kindness. But there's a better way of living. When God blesses you, he gives seed to the sower. I ask you, in any form that blessing comes, what are you willing to do with it? What are you willing to do with it? A lady told me, she said, if I could just run again, I'd run every service in church just to tell of the glory of God. If I could just dance one more time freely, I'd just give it to the Lord. I said, give it to her, Jesus! All of a sudden, the Lord, just the lightnings of heaven, like John G. Lake said, struck her legs, and she did dance. And I said, now make good on it every service. You never know how a dance could inspire a sermon and inspire whole body believers. Protect your dance. Protect your dance. I've seen some of the most beautiful things come out of Christians outwardly. And somewhere the, the devil tries to shame them over it and say, you look stupid. Don't you know this is a dignified place? There's a lot of wealthy people in here. They don't need you dancing on the front row. Don't you know this is going out to millions of people? We're trying to grow this church. Devil tells you so many lies. I tell you, the, the Lord, he'll only tell you the truth. Will you bargain with him this week? Will you let him prove himself this week to you? Father, we honor you today. I'm, I'm done. Thank you. We honor you, Jesus. We magnify you. Thank you for rooting us and grounding us here. Thank you for training up leaders in this church. Bringing about a heart and a mindset to serve people and honor God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time, Pastor. Thank you. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.